Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. Today, Evangelist Eugene Higgins begins with two Old Testament illustrations of the love of God and the sacrifice that is required for our redemption. He then goes on to explain how love and sacrifice came together for the first time at Calvary, where Christ in love provided the ultimate sacrifice for sin. Why? So that we could be sure of being in heaven with him. Let's begin by listening to Mr. Higgins as he describes these two Old Testament stories and then goes on to explain how you and I can have a relationship with God through Christ and be sure of being in heaven. Now, there are two great books in our Bible that help us understand this subject, the book of Exodus and the book of Ruth, and they give us great lessons. In the book of Exodus, we learn that there has to be a ransom. Blood has to be shed. And in the book of Ruth, we learn that we can't shed it. It's not us. We can't save ourselves. So on the one hand, we learn that sin has to be paid for. And then hand in hand with that, we learn we can't pay for it. We need a redeemer. There has to be a ransom and there has to be a redeemer. And as you move through the Old Testament, to the best of my knowledge, this is what you'll find. You will find wonderfully graphic pictures of substitution, of some thing, dying, someone dying, some substitute taking the place of an endangered person and that person being saved. But you will never find that and love brought together. There are instances where love is at work, but you will never find where that's present, that death took place. So for instance, you have lambs who died in Egypt to redeem the Israelites, but the lambs did not die because they loved the Israelites. That doesn't enter into the picture. You have that marvelous picture of substitution in Genesis 22, where Abraham takes the ram, offers it up in the stead of his son Isaac. But the ram, driven by its own power into the thicket, caught by its horns in the bush, the ram didn't go there because it loved Isaac and wanted to die for him. No, no, love's not there. Death that takes place. Blood is shed. Substitution. Sacrifice. Just keep love out of it. Whereas, you see where you have pictures of love. Boaz loves Ruth and he wants to redeem her. He doesn't have to open a vein. He doesn't have to shed his blood. Not a drop of Boaz's blood is shed. So here are these two mighty rivers. See, love, the motivating thing. Blood, the mighty sacrifice being paid. And they flow like mighty torrents through the Old Testament. But they never meet until they meet at a place called Calvary. And as Paul put it so memorably, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. And love and sacrifice met on that tree. Love and sacrifice met at that place. The lamb had come to die because he loved guilty sinners, and he gave himself to ransom you, to shed his blood, so that you could be saved and go to heaven. One of the tragedies of the last part of the 20th century was the plight of the homeless. And at least in my country, more so than here, there were cities that were filled with people who slept outdoors and barely subsisting and had no homes. But what a What an unutterable tragedy it is for men and women to have no home for eternity in heaven. To be homeless in that sense of the word, 
When God has opened his home to you and is inviting you to come and live forever with him. It's paradise. It's the Father's house. It's to be at home. And if that's not good enough, we're reminded in Philippians chapter 1 that to be in heaven is to be with Christ, which is very far better. You see, if you gave a logical thinking, sane individual a choice between existing forever in a place of comfort or existing forever in a place of torment, is there any question what the choice would be? If the person is sane thinking, would he rather live in comfort or in pain? I'll make this personal. Do you understand that to me, and I'm speaking on behalf of every Christian that's in this building and every Christian in the world, do you understand that to me, heaven is not merely a preferable alternative to hell? It's not just that I prefer going to heaven instead of being in hell. It's that there would be something horribly missing from my life if I was never going to be with the man who died for me. And if you said that he was in Toronto, then Toronto would be heaven to me. And if he was in Winnipeg, Manitoba, then the Christians here, we'd want to be in Winnipeg, Manitoba, because that would be heaven. And ahead, the future, the destiny for every person who is saved is to be in paradise, to be in the Father's house, to be at home, to be with Christ. It's the opposite to all the suffering and sin and separation and sorrow that takes place here. You say, well, that just sounds so incredible. How could that be real? Have you never been in magnificent edifices? Have you never seen pictures of the Taj Mahal in Agra? Have you, have you never been in large mansions and wondered at the work, the beauty of the architecture or the design of the sculptures that might be in it? Have you never thought to yourself, this is just phenomenal what the architects did here, what the designers did here, what the workmen did here. Now, are you telling me that the God of heaven cannot build a place to surpass anything that we have ever imagined in our wildest flights of imagination? Because heaven is the things I have told you because there's one thing that's not in heaven. Do you know why there is suffering and sorrow and separation in this world? Because there's sin. Do you know why there is no suffering? and sorrow, and separation in heaven, because sin will never enter, never. In fact, when you get to the book of Revelation, there's a wonderful touch that God the Spirit puts into that book. Do you remember? He doesn't merely say there is no curse. He says there shall be no curse. He's not merely talking about how it is as he sees it, but what it will be forever. There will never be another rebellion against God. There will never be another uprising of some creatures who will demand that God listen to them and do things their way. There shall be no more any of those things because sin will be gone forever. With all our hearts, we want you. That's what the Christians here want. That's why the lights are on. That's why the heat's on. That's why they're having these meetings. This is not just an exercise to give me practice preaching. They want you to be in heaven. They want you to be saved. So if that's what the place is like, and I hope, I hope that has begotten a thirst in your heart, let me tell you about the people who will be there. Mr. Paisley and I were having tent meetings in a place called Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And one of the persons coming to those meetings was my wife's brother. He's the person who did this chart, by the way. Don had just graduated from high school. He was going to be going to uh, university, and he would be majoring in art, and he wasn't saved. Don would go home after meeting, get on his bike, ride back, cycle back to the old neighborhood and see his friends. They had moved from that neighborhood to this neighborhood because my father-in-law was dying with cancer and they moved into a house that was a split level rather than a two or three story home. So he would go back to the old neighborhood. Mr. Paisley preached that night and in his preaching, he spoke about heaven. Don went home, got on his bike. My mother-in-law was increasingly concerned about her son. And she said to him, Don, I hope you're not gonna go over 
to the old neighborhood and just forget about everything you heard. Now, all he said to her was, no, mom, no, that's not what I'm doing. He told me later what he did do. You know what he did? He just rode and rode around the neighborhood, right around his house. And he told me why. He said, you know, I sat in that tent meeting that night and I thought to myself, I'm 18 years old. I've turned a chapter in my life. I'm going to start university. I've never been saved. And I don't want my parents to have to cry over me like David cried over Absalom. I wish I'd died for you. And when I heard about heaven, I thought to myself, that's where I want to be when I die. So he said, I rode around the neighborhood just thinking, maybe if I just got out on my own, just out into the night and was away from everybody, maybe I could figure this all out. Well, he didn't figure it all out, but he got saved just a few days later, reading Isaiah chapter 44 and 22, realizing there was a great redeemer who died for him. But the thing that spoke to him was, when I die, I want to be in heaven. I'm not asking for a show of hands. But when life is done for you, do you want to be in heaven? Do you want to be sure you'll be in heaven? Let me tell you about the people who will go there. And more importantly, tell you how you could become one of them. I'll give you Bible descriptions for them. Everybody who is going to be in heaven will reach heaven by the blood of Christ. Everyone who's going to be in heaven gets there through what the Lord Jesus did on the cross. No one gets to heaven by being a good person. No one gets to heaven by being baptized. No one gets to heaven by going to church. Men and women who go to heaven, they reach heaven through the blood of Christ. And you will find again and again in the book of Revelation, and we'll look at it later in these meetings, their language is, he is worthy. He was slain. He redeemed us to God by his blood. The unmistakable language of Revelation chapter 7 is this. When John sees this innumerable throng around the throne of God and the Lamb, he's told they're here because they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Their sins were washed away. So if you want to know whether you're going to be in heaven, if you want to know if you're on that narrow way, just ask yourself, was there a day in my life? Was there a time? Is there a place somewhere in this wide world, some green spot of grass, some bedroom, some car, some meeting, and that was the place, that was the time where my sins were washed away in the blood of Christ because everyone who's going to be in heaven has been redeemed. But the man who shed his blood for me chose to come into this world and died on a cross and died to put away my sins and to save me from hell and to save me for heaven. And when I get there, I'm going to join billions, billions of men and women in thanking him that he redeemed us to God by his blood. I can give you another description. It's not that there's another class of people going, but another description of the same class. People who are going to be in heaven are made ready for it by a birth, a new birth. They have, in Bible language, been born again. So again, if you would like to know, where will I be when I die? Will I be in heaven if I died this night? Just ask yourself the question, has there been a moment in my life when I was born again? Has there been a moment in my life when I received from God everlasting life? That's what it means to be born again. The Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah is told to go down to the house of the potter, and he's looking in the window, and he sees the wheel. And it's spinning, and there's a lump of clay, and the, the skillful hands of that ancient artisan is molding the clay into something, an urn, a vessel of some kind. And as Jeremiah watches, the clay collapses. There was something in there. See, there was some foreign object, a pebble, a stone, something that ruined it in the hand of the potter. But while Jeremiah watches, he notices that the potter doesn't just clear the wheel and go get some other clay and work on something entirely different that he patiently works over the clay that's there, finds what the problem was, removes the problem. And as Jeremiah watches, he sees the man make it again, 
another vessel. He makes it again another vessel. Why do you have to take a test again? Something wrong with the first time. Why do we have to do something again? Some problem with the first time. Why does the Lord Jesus say you must be born again? There was something wrong with the first time. You and I came into the world as sinners, but instead of wiping us off the planet and starting with another race of creatures that would obey God, God is offering to remove that sin from your heart and to give you new life, eternal life. And everyone who's going to be in heaven has a moment in life when he or she was born again. One more thing. I can tell you that the people who are going to be in heaven have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. And they were made ready by a new birth. And they were reassured by a book, the Bible. It is perhaps the most overlooked fact of conversion. I'm saying that because I listened. I couldn't begin to count how many people I listened to tell how they were saved. And yet the night that I wanted to be saved, I never realized until that night that the way a person becomes sure he is saved is from the Word of God. Not a feeling, not a sudden sense of peace, not a, a marvelous infusion of joy that I, I wasn't going to feel like a weight lifted off my back immediately the moment I was saved, that I would know I was saved the same way I knew I was going to hell. This book told me. And the same book that told me I was on the way to perdition and judgment told me that night that the moment I had trusted Christ, I was saved. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. What did the Lord Jesus say? Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that hears my word and believes God that sent me has everlasting life. My daughter and I had and have a very good friend who was not saved. And I had had a number of meetings where she lived. And then when she moved to the Midwest of the United States, I was invited there for meetings once. And I looked her up and I'll never forget the sorrow that I felt the last day when she sat across the table where she worked. I stopped in to say goodbye. And she said to me, uh, I really messed up my life, haven't I? I said, yes, you have. And I wished it would just be all so different. And I, I had to leave her still not saved. It was very sad to me. Now she moved back home. And a year or so later, she came down to our Christian convention, which is just around the New Year's time. And I sensed that there was something different. You could just tell as she was listening to the gospel, just some of the things she said. So my daughter and I talked it over. I was actually going to Halifax, Nova Scotia for a week of ministry. My daughter had her university break. She was going to come with me. And so we talked over, I know it's ministry, but what do you think of if she came with us? Just to keep her under the influence of the scriptures, just to keep her with Christian. And so we broached the subject with her, and she actually was able to get the week off, and she came with us. Now, I'm telling you this for this reason. The Christians in Halifax felt like cheering for them. They just opened their hearts to that girl. They just welcomed her in as if she was an old friend. And maybe on Thursday of that week, I had to take this young lady to the store, and I said to her, look, I don't want to pressure you. I don't want to crowd you, but I, I think something's going on, isn't it? And she just blurted right out. She said, I thought I got saved, but she said, I'm just not sure. I just don't know. But she said, I, all the Christians are just, just, they've been so kind to me. She said, I just, I just want to have what they have. I just want to be saved. But she said, I want to be sure about it. So we didn't do too much shopping. We got the scriptures out and she read one verse from the Bible. One verse. I've quoted it to you. The Lord Jesus said, verily, verily, I say to you, he that hears my word and believes God that sent me has everlasting life. And I said to her, the Lord Jesus brings three things together in that verse, and you and I can't separate them. Hearing God's word, believing that it's true, and having everlasting life. 
Now you can hear it and not believe it and not have everlasting life, but you cannot hear God's word. Rest your soul on the truth of it and not have everlasting life. You know what she did? She shut the Bible. She shut the Bible, put her hand on it. She said, that's it. She said, I just needed to see it in black and white. She said, that's what I have. There was no feelings, but she said, I had God's word for it, that the Lord Jesus died for me, and there is his promise. Everyone who's going to be in heaven has a moment in life when he or she rested on the truth of the word of God. They were born again. They were redeemed by the blood of Christ. Now, I want to close in just a minute or two, but I want to say to you that to miss this is to miss everything, to miss heaven. I don't know whether your life is happy or sad. I don't know whether you're enjoying life or fed up with life, but wherever you are, whatever stage in life you are, whatever's happening in your life, what a tragedy to live your life here, to die without Christ, to go out into eternity without the Savior, to miss everything. The Lord Jesus said about a man who was going there and is now there, it were good if he had never been born. What could be so terrible that it would be better not to see the light of day or breathe God's air, never to live than to end there? What is happening here that's so terrible that the Lord Jesus said it would not matter if you gained the whole world and ended there? Are you going to miss heaven and end up in a place like that? When this open home of God, this Father's house, this paradise has a place for you if you will only trust Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The Bible speaks of only two destinations, and the choice is yours. Those that trust Christ are saved. The Bible gives us assurance. We can know it without a doubt. What a way to live, my friend, knowledge of being in heaven, even while we tread the wearisome road here below. But remember, the Bible speaks with equal certainty about the hell that awaits those who choose to leave life without their sins forgiven. Which road? And which destiny will it be for you? Trust Christ and the provision he made for sin on the cross of Calvary. And start enjoying a little bit of heaven right here on earth today. If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at anchorpointradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by believers in Christ who are meeting at various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday, as well as other meetings such as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. If you've been challenged by today's message and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel or of gathering unto the name of the Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, take a look at our Anchor Point website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gathering center nearest you. My name is Glenn Todd. Thank you once again for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that Christ alone is the anchor for the soul.